Today in a special episode, we'll be discussing the limits of stand-up comedy with special guest, comedian, and lawyer, Jess Solomon. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asadoja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. And not a real lawyer either, Ali Hassan. Every episode, what we normally do is I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. However, today is a special episode. Today we'll be discussing the case of Mike Ward, a comedian who was accused of breaching the limits of free speech when he mocked a disabled singer. A case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. All right, Asif, let's uh, stop wasting time with your jibber-jabber and let's introduce our guest. She's now a New York-based comedian of Canadian origin. She's been on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon which has been amazing. She's toured with some incredible comedians all across Canada and the U.S. One of those comedians, her wife, with whom she has a show on Crave in Canada, and she can tell us a little bit about that. She co-hosted a podcast called Comedians versus the News for two seasons on the BBC World Service. And as Asif hinted at, she was a, a lawyer, a UN war crimes liar. L- liar. Oh, man, we're going to edit that. We're going to edit that. <laughs> now keep that in. Oh, God. <laughs> Lawyer. My mouth can't make the loy is what the issue is. And most importantly, she's my friend. She's my friend. She's here with us now. And tell everyone what you're enjoying right now as far as your health goes, Jess. I'm enjoying, is it Omicron? Is it Delta? Who's to say? It's a variant of the SARS COVID-19 novel. Is it still novel? Virus. I got a booster but I don't think it had enough time to kick in before this hit. I have lived in New York through a lot of this pandemic. I got vaccinated. I've been in crowded places really since June, I'd say 2021 comedy basements, vax pass, but everybody in there, you know, maskless eating, drinking, all of that went to Tennessee, went to Alabama, I've been to North Carolina, never got COVID. Guess what? Went to see my mother in Florida. And I think, you know, we were mostly all outside, but she gave it to my sister and my nephew, the older nephew who's six. And then I babysat that nephew and I love, like I'm obsessed with my nephew and we were pretty much making out (laughs) Christmas. We were watching the Grinch. And his face was on my shoulder, just breathing, breathing, breathing. And that night he was supposed to stay over at the hotel. And I thought he got cold feet about sleeping over, but he told my sister they didn't feel well. Uh, Cold sweats. I thought he was just like, you know, oh, like try about sleeping over was, you know, and maybe he was making up an excuse, but no, he did really want to sleep over. He was really disappointed. We're like, he's, we're, we have a very sweet relationship that he went home that night. And my mom that night told everyone that she got COVID. And then the next morning we all went to get tested and my wife and I didn't have it, but my sister, my nephew, like the family had it. And then two days later I got, I did a rapid and I had it because I had symptoms. Interestingly, my, your my wife, wife never, zero. right. That's very interesting. I mean, she's going to get a PCR now. It went through the comedy community. I mean, like, there's literally a shortage. There's been a shortage of comedians yeah. to perform. Well, we're sharing a mic. You know what I mean? Like we're giving, we're handing each oh, yeah. other the flu-ridden device. Like, and you, you guys go. are really essential workers, right? Front well, lines. Thank you so much for recognizing yeah. that. Somebody finally. Because where are our applause? Well. <laughs> you accept I do a night. lot of clapter comedy, to be honest. But no, the... <laughs> But it really went through the community pretty fast. And in New York, there's always so many comics ready to perform. So for the clubs, to because the clubs are still going here, nothing's shut down. Like people who run shows, like I shut down my show, Mm -hmm. like more of the indie. But the main comedy clubs haven't, they're still going. So, I mean, I can't wait till like this is done. I'm going to be back out there with my fresh antibodies, Mm -hmm. my booster. Like I'm ready. I think once like, hopefully... 
I'll be able to breathe normally and I won't have this voice. But if not, maybe, no, you know, a funny, like a voice is. You'd be like a female Gilbert Gottfried if you, you know. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) I got the glasses a couple of years ago. It helped my comedy career. And maybe now it's just, uh, you know, someone who could barely command a room to begin with. And now even less. I mean, that's got a, that's a thing. That is not you at all. Anyway. (laughs) Let's talk about this case. Now that we know the insides and outsides of your, you know, marriage and and, uh, fluids and flu, Mm -hmm. (laughs) flu status. Let's talk about, first of all, so Mike Ward, I'll I'll just tell people, is a friend of mine. Many years ago when he was housebound and getting death threats over some other stuff that he was uh, doing, and I I can't even remember the details of that anymore, but Mike Ward has always been a provocateur and, and relishes in the role. And, you know, when he was housebound, he was on the South Shore of Montreal. I lived on the South Shore. I was like, hey, man, I'm a caterer. I'm already making food for gigs if you ever want me to drop off some food and he didn't take me up on it but he remembered that for years and he said you know i we're going to work together sometime because i i always appreciated that that was a very nice gesture and so i have a you know i was in edinburgh at the same time as mike and we would hang out a little bit so you know i definitely come with some bias but mike ward on brand for mike ward did make fun of this guy jeremy gabriel known as petit jeremy in quebec so Jess, maybe you can tell people who Petit Jeremy is first so people can understand who this person was that Mike made uh, made fun of, for those who don't know about the, the case. And just, you know Mike Ward? Do you know him personally or professionally? Yes, we have an open marriage and Mike Ward is our third. So, you know, maybe it's going to be a little bit, no, I'm just kidding. Conflict of interest there? Slightly. No, no, no. So sorry, our marriage isn't open. I know everyone's disappointed, but Mike was on the comedy scene when I was in Montreal for all of that time. Mm-hmm. And we should mention he's a French comedian who started doing comedy in English around the same time that Jess started, which would have been like 12, 12 13 years, years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah, 12 years ago. And Mike is extremely famous in French. He's known in English to a, a certain extent too. But obviously in Quebec, there's a whole different kind of level of fame and star system that exists. So comedians in Quebec can become household names household names absolute millionaires absolute rock stars and Mm -hmm. not known outside of the borders Mm -hmm. of quebec and there's i can name 15 comedians who have that status and i don't even know that scene that well so yeah it's it's a yeah which is relevant to this in the sense that his comedy would be heard because you know and money would be made off of Mm -hmm. it whereas many people could say offensive jokes all the time and no kid would be bullied off of it because no teenagers would even know your joke mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. you'd be an English or an Anglo comic in Canada. But yes, I mean, I have, I have close friends. I've have explored the, the French scene, but Mike, I know from the English scene and he's someone who is like sugar Sammy and preceded sugar Sammy and being a bilingual comic just didn't put together a bilingual show that I think that exploded the way that sugar Sammy's did. But he was probably the first person that was really crossing over English and French. And like Sugar Sammy is extremely bilingual. Mike is one of those Quebecois people that I've joked about and always been so jealous of who don't have an accent in either language. He has an Anglo parent and a Quebecois parent and grew up in Quebec City, which is why he's, I mean, it's hard to hear an accent in, in either sense. And anyway, always extremely supportive of young comics, very generous. And in my wife, when she recorded her first album, which was also sort of like a farewell to Montreal, she rented out Club Soda, a big venue and, and asked Mike to host it because, you know, he's a big name and he was really sweet and did it. And of course that always like helps ticket sales. And anyway, I like dark jokes. And so I didn't love every single joke of Mike Wars, but I always, I did very much like him as a person and think he was he was a really good guy and very supportive of of people coming up and i think in general like a very stand up guy and a good comic yeah so tell us who uh, petit jeremy is then so petit jeremy i don't know personally 
He is not a comedian. He was at the at the time when Mike Ward's jokes about him, the ones that are at issue, came out. So Petit Jeremy was a disabled child, is a disabled adult now, and he became well-known in Quebec because he, as a disabled kid, wanted to make a singing career. And he got some huge opportunities singing for the Pope, singing, uh, I think, before, you know, Habs hockey game with Celine Dion. And so he was a, he's a pretty famous guy, kid, now man, mm-hmm. who is, yeah, essentially a disabled person who wants to become and has been building a career as a singer in, in Quebec. Right. Asif, is this a good time for you to talk about what his disability sure. is exactly? Because I don't think it's it's a well-known disability at all. It, it's the only person that I've ever heard of to have this Treacher-Collins syndrome. Maybe you can talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, usually, Jess, we do a section on entertainment and comedy, and then we'll do something on, on medicine. But we'll kind of do the medicine one in the middle of this, because we're going to get to the whole controversy about Mike Ward's jokes in a sec. So, so just treacher Collins syndrome. So it's tough for me to explain to people how rare or not rare something is. So mm. if this is the type of rare disease that a family doctor would probably never see in their career, but it's something that I've seen, I don't know, I've probably seen like 10 patients total with, with it. And you'll see why I may not see them as often as some of my colleagues in pediatrics. So the other name for treacher Collins syndrome is mandibular facial dysostosis. And so it's... Uh, you know, it occurs in about one of every 25,000 to 50,000 live births. So basically, you know, there's all this embryology that occurs when babies are developing in the womb. But basically, there's these structures in the face and head that all embryonically come from the same areas when the fetus is developing. And these are areas that are all diminished to the same extent in patients with treacher Collins syndrome. And so You'll see patients with a treacher Collins syndrome, and if you look up images online or in textbooks and things like that, they all all the patients kind of look similar. They'll have a smaller face, very often abnormalities of the ears, often with hearing problems associated with that. They often have a cleft palate. They can have swallowing and feeding problems. When they're babies, they can sometimes have breathing problems because it's almost like their jaw and their face is so small, and that can cause a lot of problems when they're younger. They often need a lot of surgeries over time. I think uh, Petit Jeremy had like uh, over a dozen surgeries or something like that. It's not uncommon, you know, 12, 13, 14 surgeries over someone's lifetime as their face is growing to kind of help with that crowding. Some need tracheostomies, so breathing tube in the neck, ear surgeries, sometimes that helps with their hearing. Most of the time they need hearing aids. But two key things, one is that it's genetic, and we know the gene is called TCOF1, and that causes the majority of cases, so it can run in families. But the most important thing is it has normal intelligence. And this is the type of thing, and, and unfortunately, you know, people sometimes make assumptions when they see the physical appearance of people, and they think, oh, you know, they look like this physically, so they have some sort of developmental delay, lower IQ, things like that. It's not the case. There is no issues with intelligence with uh, patients with treacher Collins. So that's actually why I don't see patients with treacher Collins, because I'm a pediatric neurologist. Usually there's issues with the brain, and overall, brain formation and function is normal in patients with treacher Collins syndrome. One thing I don't know if I picked up, is it, is it, can it be fatal? Can it be something you're dying from? In Jeremy's case, was he dying? From? That's a very good point because you'll see some of the controversy was about, oh my gosh, how can you be making fun of someone who has a fatal condition? It's not fatal in that way. Now your life expectancy could be reduced, but that's probably due to some of those other things. Obviously you have a tracheostomy complications from that and for breathing could do that. And a lot of the breathing problems at birth, if it's difficult to control, you could have a shortened life expectancy, but it's not a fatal disease. Not a disease that gets worse and worse over time that you die for, nothing like that. So, or die from. So it's nothing like okay. that. So, so yeah, so that's a really good question. And and some people, I mean, I don't know, we'll see what you guys think, think that may make a difference or, or not when you when when it comes to this kind of thing. You know, is it a fatal disease or is it not? Mm-hmm. So Mike Ward was doing a special comedy tour across Quebec. Mike Ward's Expose, it's called. Mike Ward exposes. It was meant to, uh, you know, attack French sacred cows. It was filmed, but never broadcast. And Jess, I'm going to ask you in a moment, you know, if you think that that makes a difference in this big thing, but can you tell us what the joke was specifically that he told about Petit Jeremy? 
I don't have the translation of the joke in front of me, and this is just from memory, and it was a little while ago sure. that, I, that I saw it. But essentially, my what I understood as the joke was that, well, the general bit was about, yeah, attacking untouchable people who are beloved in Quebec and are hard to make fun of for different reasons, but basically because they're beloved and you shouldn't go after them. And I think like Celine Dion was one of them and Petit Jeremy was another one. And from what I remember, Mike Ward's bit was to say that the Petit Jeremy was getting attacked, you know, that people were making fun of him because he was singing in these very big, you know, public contexts and he is not a good singer. And people were, you know, making fun of him for being a bad singer. I'm sure also for what he looked like, as people do, society is shitty, you know, and Mike kept defending him because Mike was under the impression that this was a fatal illness and that this was a make a wish type of situation. Because why else would this kid be allowed to perform at these high levels when he's not good, you know, so Mike was out there telling people, give this guy a break. He's dying. Who cares if he's a bad singer? You know, this is his make a wish. Shut up, you know? And then the guy, the kid didn't die. And so Mike felt like an idiot because he's defending this, the kid on that basis. This is all Mike's bit on stage. This is this not- This is how, yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing yeah. Yeah, I think how this is I understood yeah. the joke Yeah, because other j- jokes like this have been made and I'm putting it in that kind of general context yes. where you say something and you defend somebody and you say things you don't really mean mm-hmm. because the person is going to die and then he didn't die. And so, you know, and then Mike says, so I- drowned him or something like that right mm-hmm, should have mm-hmm. drowned him right have drowned him, like i, I wish yeah. he was dead or whatever and it's obviously a dark punchline and it's clear to anyone at mike's show or that is watching comedy that he's not advocating actually murdering the kid he's just like i'm it's like acting out of embarrassment that i defended this kid when I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> right. let's say. And the only way to solve my cognitive dissonance is uh, I got to so, kill you. I got to kill you, you know? So obvious, I'm not defending this joke and it's not one that I would make. You know, every profession, <laughs> comedy, comedy is a profession. <laughs> and if you were an expert in the profession, you would understand that that is a very easy go-to punchline. So much so that it's almost hacky. Mm. But if you're a Supreme Court judge and you don't, and it's insane to explain this to someone, like, yeah, the easy punchline is to say, so I killed her or I drowned him. And I, we all know that that's joke structure and that everyone understands that that's not a real thing. But you're like, how could you joke about that? The only way that it's like, you have to have the judge do open mics for like two months, two months of open mics getting on stage, writing jokes, being surrounded by comedians. And that's the only way that that judge or, and or jury could be like, okay, we kind of understand. And that's why jokes shouldn't be before the Supreme Court, because there's things that sound insane to people outside of the context. Like if I, when I was war crimes lawyer and, you know, I hear people throw around the word genocide all the mm-hmm. time in the media mm-hmm. and about very, very bad situations. But I know that it's not technically a genocide but am i going to hop in there and be like well it's really more of a slow ethnic cleansing or like you know what i mean you sound <laughs> but te- but technically it's not you know what i mean like it's like <laughs> but that's truly exactly the same parallel and judges would understand that but human beings with mm-hmm. their emotions and their empathy do not get it sure well this is this is what i was going to say i'm glad you told explain the joke in the way that you did because i am not as good in french as you and and ali so i watched the thing but i couldn't i got the gist of what he was saying but i didn't quite get all the build-up to it but then i just heard the punchline And, and i've even seen him interviewed on joe rogan's podcast and he doesn't quite explain it the way you did and so you know when i when i read a cbc article on the case even then they just tried to describe the joke and they said you know mike ward joked about drowning him him being petit jeremy 
Miami when he found out the condition was not terminal. That is what happened. That was, but it's not, doesn't get to the nuance and the setup, the storytelling of the joke, and then the punchline of the joke, right? It's just simplifying that. And again, if you read that, oh my gosh, can you believe this guy said you should drown this kid who has a disability? How horrible. But that's not really it, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to impress upon people. The nuances and layers and 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 background of, of of comedy. I mean, you really can't. And then that's why you say, Jess, the Supreme Court really shouldn't be in this. You know, it takes like some serious uh, study of stand up. And we you jokingly called it a profession because we it's so funny what we do. We're standing on a stage, drinking and like telling drunks to shut up and listen to us. But it is an age old profession, you know. It's 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 eighty plus years old, and people have been doing this and crafting this. So, and that's what makes this such a remarkable thing that the Supreme Court did get involved here. So, we wanted to ask you, given your legal background, to talk about the legal aspects of this case and 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 what was. Mike Ward charged with and what did he say, uh, what was said in his defense? So, yeah, I mean, first of all, just to what Asif was saying about not getting the full context of the joke, there were like two things because I, you know, there's all of these kinds of, not there's not a lot of cases like this where it's like ends up in the court, but there's a lot of, let's say in the court of public opinion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. conversations around cancel culture and like this per- joke and this person saying this. And, and oftentimes I don't know the comedian or, you know, like I can get my back up. And like, weirdly in this case, it was like two things. One, I'm like, I know this guy, Mike Ward. I actually know the guy that's involved in the story. And I know what kind of person he is, or at least what kind of person he was. I can't speak to what kind of person he is now. Cause you know what? Sometimes these comedians get called out and rather than sort of do the deep work of like, maybe this wasn't the right thing to do. They, they just go, full alt-right, which is, I think, where my ward is today. So I... Yeah, you're concerned he was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, and also, I mean, I've been disappointed, but let's say, Fair with enough. things that I've seen in his, like, social media. It's pretty, pretty gross. And I, I don't know what kind of guy he is anymore. So everything I have said, I just, you know, like, I understand he, he's been through a lot with threats. And I'm glad that he took this to the Supreme Court, because this truly is a, a case that would have a horrible implications for comedians, truly. It's not just one of these cancel culture, just like, oh, like, here's me on Netflix with $40 million, you know, just talk. anyway, my point being, and also there is an aspect I, that Ali maybe will feel, which is the rest of Canada, when they opine about things to do with Quebec and they don't speak the language properly and the way that they just tend to shit on Quebec in a way sometimes deserves, sometimes not. I really also do get my backup because I'm like, you guys don't even speak French and you don't understand. And like, you see it spin out in the media in a certain way. And you're like, that's not what it is. Like, what do you, mm-hmm. anyway, all that to say that Mike Ward was initially taken that. So Petit Jeremie with his mom went to the commission, which is part of the human rights system that exists, the domestic tribunal system, where each province has their own sort of human rights court. And then after that, you might go to the Court of Appeal or Supreme Court. The commission is the group that represents the plaintiff, the victim, whatever they're called. I don't know in that system. And they decide whether they look at the case and they decide whether to represent and they do it free of charge. So, you know, just to bring up that like, Anybody could go to the commission and say, like, this is me having my human rights violated in this by in, by this comedian. And it's not like you have to put up any money of your own. Like, there's no deterrent there. If the commission mm-hmm. takes the case, which they took the case here, which, you know, fair enough. And then they brought it to the, the tribunal and the tribunal ruled in favor of Petit Jeremy. Basically, the main legal issue was, was this discriminatory speech and they ruled that it was discriminatory speech. And as a result of it being discriminatory speech, you know, Mike had to pay money and there were like, you know, I don't remember what the, the sums of money were, but they basically found him guilty. I think it was 35,000 in moral and punitive damages. I right. Think. So there are different kinds of damages that are supposed to like address different issues. Right. But the thing is, is, you know, they weighed his so-called freedom of expression against this idea of discriminatory speech and the right to dignity, which is like a specific right that exists in the Quebec Human Rights Tribunal. For me, there's like two things. One is, is it discriminatory speech? I did not think so. And ultimately the Supreme Court in a narrow majority did not think so. And the reason why it didn't qualify as discriminatory speech 
is because he didn't single out Le Petit Jérémy because of his disability. He chose him because he was a untouchable, sacred cow, beloved, difficult to criticize member of Quebec celebrities sphere, you know, and yes, he did make fun of what he looks like, which was gratuitous and dumb and unrelated to, you know, the issue of, let's say, defending him, thinking it was a make-a-wish thing and, and then regretting it, but it wasn't discriminatory. But the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal found that it was discriminatory and the Court of Appeal two to one found that it was discriminatory. And then the Supreme Court five to four found that it wasn't. The other thing is, is that this idea of discriminatory, weighing discriminatory speech against freedom of expression is to me, I don't know why the Supreme Court didn't address this. Maybe they felt that they didn't need to because they found that it wasn't discriminatory speech. But how to explain this? The Well, the Canadian Charter of Human Rights is our constitutional rights, you know, document. And that basically is involves, it's like the relationship between what the state can do vis-a-vis its citizens. So what our rights are vis-a-vis the state and the human rights tribunal system is more there to protect us against an infringement on our rights by other people in society that aren't the state. So like essentially in matters of employment or housing, if someone's like, as if they won't rent to you an apartment because they don't like your name or your skin color, or religion or whatever. Like that's what the courts were there. The tribunals were there to deal right. with or in employment. If you're fired for, you know, or if there's like, you know, uh, discriminatory speech going on in the workplace in a way that makes it impossible for you to, for you to work, you know, it's not there to decide, you know, what comedians can or mm-hmm. can't say like, you know, <laughs> on stage at clearly a show. But the thing is, is that discriminatory speech isn't protected in the Canadian charter and in general and other, other cases. And this is really like a nitty gritty legal issue, but to me is, is important in other cases where provincial human rights tribunal or their, the human rights legislation at the provincial level allows for some kind of right that is bigger than what we have at the federal constitutional level, it's, it's, it doesn't override it. It's a, a matter of constitutional law that the charter is always the main document. It always, if there's any conflict, dom- has dominance or mm-hmm, supersedes, mm-hmm. I forget the language now, the provincial legislation. So, you know, whereas the charter protects freedom of expression and there's certain limitations that we have, like hate speech or defamation, discriminatory speech isn't something that you're not allowed to do, you know, <laughs> like it's, so I, I don't like that. I get, you know, it was a pretty narrow mm-hmm. win, let's say to say that it wasn't discriminatory speech, but I, I wish they had just struck down that provision entirely as inconsistent, you know, just did that have to do, correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, did it have to do with the fact, like, was their argument about it being discriminatory bolstered by the fact that then he was further bullied? I don't remember if it was on per, in person or online, but once that joke got out that Mike Ward had told this joke, as we said, it was not broadcast, but it was filmed and people had attended and it, it was brought out. This joke was brought out eventually Once it was seen, I think Petit Jeremy's parents or his mother, his mother said that he was further bullied and then had, uh, I don't know if it was suicidal ideations or things got really bad for him. Yeah. Well, did did that quote unquote need to have happened for them to have a case in this, in this tribunal and then in the further up in the courts? I think that the way that this would have been a legitimate case is if it had been a case of hate speech where like humor was just like a very loose pretext for Mike getting up on stage and essentially denigrating a group of people and advocating for violence against the disabled or against him in particular. But it's not like that's what happened. And in fact, the Supreme Court, including the dissenting judges, no one at any level, not one judge in this entire process at whatever level of court found this to be hate speech. So as long as it's not hate speech, the fact that this kid was bullied 
it wasn't like people left Mike Ward's show and went and bullied him. He was bullied by kids in his school who, I mean, I understand that Mike jokes might've aggravated the bully, but I also think a disabled kid who's out there who cannot sing well, who's out there singing for the Pope and getting all of these opportunities in the public eye and trying to make a singer is like, you're going to be bullied. I mean, I get horrible comments online, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that I'm not a child, but like, it's just like, whether Mike Ward was involved or not, I mean, just go hold the bullies accountable for what their actions are. I, I think that you can't really draw a direct line of responsibility to Mike Ward in this case. Now, like if you're somebody like Gavin McInnes and you're pretending that what you're doing is comedy. Gavin McInnes, by the way, uh, sort of a leader of the leader. Proud Boys. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Then in that case, no, like mm-hmm. you can't use comedy as a pretext and, and as a way to, you know, say that you have free speech rights if what you're doing is is in fact hate speech. But everything about what Mike mm-hmm. Ward did, as distasteful as it might be, was definitely structurally comedic. The setting mm-hmm. was comedy. It's not like people left there with any other impression. I guess the other point is, as you're saying, and this is what the Supreme Court said, he was making fun of him, not because of his disability, but because of his fame, right? And this is kind of, as you were getting at, just the, this is the double-edged sword of fame, right? Like, it's great that he was famous. It's great he uh, did, mean, did this up for the right Pope. to but... dignity. That's the first thing you give up, Asif, when you go into <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys business. are famous. I'm not. So I have to just, you know. I am not know. famous at all, but Ali is. And, you know, necessarily a right yeah. to dignity. You, you know, I mean, what, you want me to go? To, I go to the Supreme Court every day with uh, ways that my dignity has been infringed in this show business. <laughs> I just, I think that it's crazy that these things exist in the Quebec legislation. I don't know what case this is from, but this was in the Supreme Court at some point where they said provincial human rights legislation that prohibits discriminatory speech, which belittles, ridicules, or otherwise affronts the dignity of an individual has been struck down by the Supreme Court for being unconstitutional. That is being an unjustified restriction on free expression. And to me, I'm like, why didn't they do this with Quebec? They've done it with, I feel like it was with Saskatchewan, because yeah, the standard is basically offensive expression must rise to the level of le- offensive expression must rise to the level of hatred before its suppression can be justified under section one of the charter. It would be unusual for satire or parody to meet this standard. These are things that the Supreme Court said in other cases, mm-hmm. and I don't have the citation there, which ones, but that's why to me it's they just sort of left it at this isn't discriminatory, and then they didn't go deeper mm-hmm. in terms of how is this even in your law? But Jess is unconstitutional. Is one of the reasons you think because you kind of alluded to this before. It's, it seems like this kind of squeaked by, like five to four. I don't know. Like that means yes, there was four. Mike Ward was the one who took it to the Supreme Court. We should say that as well. Mike Ward was like, no, this this cannot stand. Mike Ward spent something like half a million dollars to make sure. And it could have all blown up in his face. But this is how committed he is to comedy and the freedom to, you know, say what he feels. No, and and he's right. And what I hate about this so much is it does give all of this actual bullshit cancel culture stuff uh, like a leg to stand on. I mean, of course, this would never happen in the U.S. So it is still like completely like absurd to consider. But the fact that this went as far as it did in Canada is is in crazy. Why do you think this would never happen in the states? Oh, I mean, because they don't. Their free ex- freedom of expression laws are wide open here. I mean, they have a lot less restriction than we do. I cannot imagine it. Yeah, I didn't know if you thought it was from a legal point of view or from a I don't know how you, like just a societal I mean, point of view. Like never they, say you, never. Here, <laughs> never say but, never. Uh, if a black man said something about a a white woman with Republicans in power, you know, some sort of like semi perfect storm, you could see it maybe potentially. No, and 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 truly, there are some real freedom of expression. They have wide open laws here, but yet they're passing all of these silencing expression legislation for the BDS movement. So, you know, if you're Israel, you're protected. But anyway, not to go down that road, but it, it of course it can happen in certain contexts. If the political the political will is there, as we know, judges, I mean, who's to say the Supreme Court in the US is, is kind of uh, not to be trusted right now. 
But yeah, I will. Can I just, uh, so this was something that the dissent, so the dissenting judges mm-hmm. in, on our Supreme Court, there were four of them, two of them I know, and one in particular I love and is uh, like a hero, I think to me, uh, Rosie Abella, Judge Abella, she's uh, uh, came and spoke when I was at McGill and she's just an incredible human and justice and uh she was one of the dissenters oh, wow. and so was Judge Kassir, who was the dean at the law school at McGill when I was there. So these are people who I like really respect a lot. And I just, I can't really understand. I mean, look, they call a lot of experts like doctors in to give their advice. You know, they definitely, they had, a, they had a lot of uh, briefs that were submitted by not the ACLU, but like the Canadian, I forget what it's called, Civil Liberties Association. And free speech advocates. And they definitely didn't have any comedians other than Mike that were there to say, you know, this is truly a disgusting joke, but it's, it is comedy. I mean, you should, you could come with me any night and I will show you how this is a punchline, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately, but it is. So one of the things that really stood out to me in terms of the dissenters and, and like what they said, which I just, to me was like encapsulated how they don't understand at all that what was going on with the joke. They wrote, Ward's jokes implied that society would be better off if G, Petit Jérémy, were dead and invoked archaic attitudes advocating for the exclusion and segregation of children with disabilities. Absolutely. Like that's that's 100% not what was going on at all. And the fact that they, so if they, if that's how they understood the joke, and that's what they're going off of in their reasoning. Like you can kind of see how, you know, they may get to where they did, but it's still hard to justify how it's discriminatory because it's so clear that he didn't select. And even the, the first tribunal, the, the human rights tribunal didn't find that he selected Jeremy as a target because of his disability, but then they somehow tried to figure out how it was still discriminatory based on whether bullying or whatever the consequences are. But, you know, the problem there is it's like, it's like these, the tribunal, I think was just trying to sometimes I think, and this is not a nice thing to say about any judge, they feel so bad about the circumstances that they reason backwards, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. from the conclusion. And that's really, really bad judicial reasoning. And is, I mean, it's like, I mean, again, just because there's so few people that do this, but my parallel to comedy is when you really want to say something and you try to like reason backwards to like a punchline based on like the message you want to get out there and like how that absolutely never works as a joke. And it's like so clear that like you're just trying to like make something happen that's like you don't have, I mean, in their case, a jurisdiction for, or you don't have the... You, you, the reasoning is is isn't there. But just it happens in medicine, right? It's it's in you guys all know this. You know <gasps> you have no, a. I know what? it's funny. Pre- <laughs> this is this is our our health. This is our body. What are you saying? That's right. Thing Don't is get like too attached. Bullying. But it's it's you know you cut you patient comes in. You assume they have this maybe because of some preconceived notions. You know maybe they're homeless. Maybe it's their racial background. Mm-hmm. They're you're profiling oh, no, them. No, uh, yeah. You know because they're uh, First Nations or. Something something like that. And, and and you come to these premature conclusions and then you try and fit the story backwards to fit in. Well, they did have this and did have this, but you're ignoring all that other stuff that says they actually have, you know, this other disease. Then you're just ignoring this because you want to fit into the, your preconceived notions of what you think is right or just or appropriate for this person because they're clearly seeking drugs and I'm going to prove that that's what they want and they don't really have real pain or whatever. What and is so that it's bias called us if we've done an episode on this? Yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah, so this is clinical reasoning bias, and there's many clinical different kinds, biases. you know, but there's premature closure bias. There's a, a whole bunch of different biases that come in, and I'm sure it happens in law all the time. And so it's the same sort of thing, right? You're just trying to fit things to your preconceived notion of, of what should be right in this condition. I mean, it's just everybody's human, and uh, some humans are in <laughs> positions of power that or they have a consequence. I think yeah. there's another element too that I can't help but think of. And, and I think that's about how unrespected comedy is as an art form for, you know, Jess, you've, you've made the break to the U S but in Canada, it's a constant thing that, you know, comedians can't get funding. And I would jokingly say, you know, if I had like 
you know, blood in a jar and I splashed it on the stage and rolled around in it, I'd probably get a government grant. But because I have, uh, you know, a couple of jokes on stage, it's like, no, no, no joke. It's, it's as if a group of people mm-hmm. 20 years ago from some, you know, whatever, Canadian Council for the Arts or some, some governing, some, some grant offering body <laughs> went to see a show together and all they heard were jokes and they just said <laughs> never again and they sort of put it into their own you know organizations legislation where like we, we will just never fund you this. know what i think you're right except for i think what happened was is that they didn't go to a show there was one guy who tried to do comedy and was terrible at it then he got on Canada Council for the Grants, yeah. and he was like, "Never will anyone get my oh, if I couldn't get it. this. None <laughs> yeah, of you guys, like a club owner that like is an unsuccessful comedian, yeah. but like on the Canada Council for we solved it. <laughs> to, to build on this, there's some quotes from a. <laughs> what do you think happened? As <laughs> I, I think I think you're right, Jess. I think it was bitter applicants, and you know, to be fair, and I've told Ali this, like I, you know, the le- reason why I love watching stand-up comedy, whether it's um, live or or on video, is because it is one of the purest art forms. It is the performer giving something to the audience, getting something back. And a lot of a lot of art is is you, you don't get that response, right? You can write a book and who knows what people thought about that, right? Or how it affected them internally. But this way you guys get to see you you do something, you have the effect, and then you get the response back. So you get the immediate feedback, which is very, you know, it's hard. I can't, I can't think of a lot of art forms that, that do that. So I definitely have, the, the, you know, so I, I mean, I'm definitely on your side with this, but I want to quote two of you people who I think you guys are friends with, because there was a Montreal Gazette article after this verdict came out, right? So one is from Joey Elias, and he said, I don't want to put Mike on a pedestal, neither, neither does Jess, but in my opinion, he saved comedy as we know it. And Derek Sagan, who's another, I think, one of your guys' friends, right? He also said, the reverse decision would have been disastrous for comedy, not just here in Canada, but beyond our borders. And so, do you think this is hyperbole? Do you think, borders, do you think this is hyperbole? I guess is I what I want to know. Got, I think Derek got a bit carried away, and it sounded like a, to add beyond our borders. Okay, you know? and, but Derek and also very, very good friends with Mike Ward. So it's like your one of your closest friends is getting beat up a hundred different ways in the media and financially, and this and that. So I think that that that's an emotion filled uh, statement. The beyond I just, order, yeah, I mean, I just think maybe Derek isn't familiar with like freedom of expression laws in the, in the U.S. and mm, how mm, it would, right, it really would be hard for that to happen here. In Europe, I mean, there's been certain cases. I remember I went on CBC, one of the shows at some point to talk about Dieudonné, and I, I can't remember any more exactly. Basically, it was a case where he's a real comedian. It's not like McGavin McInnes. He's not the leader of a hate <laughs> group, <laughs> but his performances involved uh, very seriously and not in a joke form, at least, well, some anti-Semitism and, but the, the part that was truly undeniable and is illegal in Europe is a Holocaust denial. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it was very clear that he wasn't joking. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, again, structurally and everything about the, like for the person, political organizing and things and statements in there, you know, like there's a lot of things that you can fill in the picture of whether comedy is because uh, just because someone is legitimately a comedian and, and is on stage that isn't the whole defense and in that case yeah I mean that was a comedian that was taken to court and and lost because he violated certainly the Holocaust denial laws so that is like a beyond a border so I can't speak for the whole yeah. world but in the U.S. the U.S. I really have a hard time imagining a comedian getting taken to court, but I'm, I am grateful. I think Mike Ward has gone full alt-right, but I am still grateful that he took this case to the Supreme court. If not only because he said comedy, but because I wrote an article in 2016 on a comedy blog, doesn't matter after the tribunal decision. And I thought it was wrong. And to have the Supreme court side with me made me feel like, vindicated and like maybe i uh i still got we it should post that a... with this episode that would be very interesting because oh, yeah, that was your real time uh, thoughts five years ago mm-hmm. right when they initially yeah. had it 
Yeah. You're so young. I mean, I don't stand by my uh, closing of my piece uh, where I, I was like, I live in America now, so I'm going to go kick a disabled kid. Oh and my God. I was joking, but <laughs> of course, uh, just, someone has. You that. just destroyed all, all credibility of you being on the show. I today. was just showing how it's like, you know, these are stupid punchlines. But of course, this is someone has like tweeted that at me um, since. Oh, like, have they? Oh, my God. But, but see, and do you guys, I mean, just to sort of wrap up here, like, because if you go back, once you explain the joke, Jess, which actually I think is the whole crux of this whole conversation, the joke is actually about how we as society treat people with a terminal illness versus a non-terminal disability, right? You could argue that's actually the joke. And you're, the joke you just made, isn't that more making fun of the U.S. as opposed to anything making fun of disabled people? I don't know. Like, Well, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't, wasn't really, like, I, it was just to say, like, I'm not really going to drink a Budweiser and, and kick a disabled person. It was just, yeah, it'd be like, this is of course allowed here, which is, I, I can't remember exactly how mm-hmm. I put it, but it was just to, it was just to say like, these are like dumb punchlines that aren't. I've known Jess a long time and I can confirm she would never drink Budweiser. That's a hundred percent for sure. We, the other thing, you know, people change. It's hard to know where you would stand on that. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also full alt-right. There's also this one thing that hasn't been mentioned today, and we can wrap up with this, is this idea of punching up and punching down. That was a big debate too, you know, like people would say he's punching down, but I think Mike was like, but I'm not punching down. This is a Quebec celebrity. This is somebody who's made tons of money, who's got tons of fame, who's also, if he was just a handicapped kid who had never been on television, who had never done anything, I would never... Go after this guy. These are not Mike Ward's words. This is the suggestion. Whereas uh, this is a Quebec celebrity. So I'm not punching down. But some people were like, because he's handicapped, therefore it is punching down. You know, for me, it's it's a gray area. And I, I personally wouldn't make that joke knowing that it could be misconstrued as punching down, even if I didn't think it was. But again, I I don't know. I didn't think. I mean, the gray area is that he's a kid, that he was a kid. If he wasn't a kid, I mean... If someone's a celebrity, I wouldn't make fun of their disability, but I think otherwise they're, you know, you can make fun of people. It's just about what the, it's not the person you can't, someone doesn't become like outside the scope of jokes Mm -hmm. because they're disabled, but it's like, what do you, what is the the crux of the joke? Like what, what is the joke aimed at? Is it just, you're making fun of their head looking like how it looks like? Well, that's really it's not hate speech but it's not like bottom of the barrel kind of lame yeah Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. i think we've had a good conversation asif will be the guy who sees later what gets edited out from my mouth or yours he's good at that he's like nope please feel free to (laughs) save me from myself yeah yeah exactly (laughs) he does that for me every week It was very nice to have you here, Jess. Thank you very much for uh, plowing through your various flu-like symptoms. I will say, because this is since we last spoke, we are doing a third season of the BBC podcast in February. Great news. Yeah. So we are very surprised that they want us back. (laughs) We are doing season three of Comedians versus the News. It's going to be longer, like 17 episodes starting in February. And we must attend a, we have to do a neutrality course <laughs> or a, as I call if it, re-education there's camp, one thing so. a comedian loves, it's like HR training. Oh my God. I mean, Look at anyway. this. This is great. But season very good two, we, yeah, yeah. Season two, we had to sign a, like a neutrality uh, pledge, but now we have to do a whole course. <laughs> the pledge wasn't enough. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Well, that's great. We're very, very happy for you. And we'll definitely so tune in. Look we'll out plug for that. that when it airs as well. You'll So next month, February is when you'll be starting to record. We'll be starting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, basically. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're at almost January 1st. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, my God. It's New Year's, you guys. There you go. Happy, happy. Exactly. We're in a new year. With my and so, yeah, that's great. So we can, we can be doctor versus comedian versus comedians versus the news. So there's lots of antagonism there, lots of... Uh, we need a crossover app. That's, that's yeah. true. We definitely have this to do that. This is what Asif's dream has been for a long time. Well, that's right. That's why, that's, that's why I put verses in the title. It's the only reason. I'm like, maybe yeah. maybe we can uh, cross-promote. So, and then what about touring? You got any touring coming up, Jess, or is that kind of on hold these days? 
well, if it goes forward, I hope it does. Cause like, I'm going to be ready to go now that I got COVID, you know, and so many people are, but we, I guess, but the one thing I would mention is uh, just for laughs Northwest in Vancouver, February 18 is the show Iman and I are doing in Vancouver. And I think I have the information up on our on our website that my wife doesn't know exists called the lsolomons.com. I've seen that website. The ticket, and she the, hasn't? The oh ticket info is she doesn't, she doesn't uh, visit it. No, she hasn't updated the plugins on WordPress <laughs> or even know what that sentence means. <laughs> Doctor versus comedian versus comedian versus the news is going to just be either fighting or therapy of Jess and Iman on this show, which is also, you know, we have a doctor on the show. Good for you both. Very, very happy for you that the BBC show is coming back and that you'll be touring mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. And outside of the duo, people can find you at JessSolomon.com. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Jess underscore Solomon. It's S-A-L-O-M-O-N. Right, right. That's always been an issue for me because I grew up on Solomon Crescent in mm-hmm. Quebec and in Brassard. So I always think it's Solomon, the king. Yeah. Well, my grandmother, her maiden name was Solomon, S-O-L, and she married my grandfather, S-A-L. So, Oh, God, the confusion continues <laughs> and deepens, in fact. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, Jess. Asif, you want to tell people where people can, uh, where they can find us? Yeah, for sure. We're at Dr. V Comedian. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and we have our website, drvcomedian.com. Not TikTok yet until our daughters teach us how to use yeah, it. Yeah, that's one day. We can we yeah. can dream. And reach out to us, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about this episode, your thoughts about this case and the kind of controversy surrounding it. And just leave us a rating on uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything would be uh, greatly appreciated. That's it for today. Oh, except uh, are you are you everyone's everybody's doctor? Sorry, I did forget to mention that although <laughs> I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor, and Jess is not your lawyer. Medical issues and I guess legal advice that we talk about are for your interest and information only. They're not medical or legal advice. Please consult your medical or law professionals for actual advice. <laughs> Thanks. See you guys later. Who wrote that? So you wanna who wrote that? My my <laughs> sister-in-law is a lawyer. So she <laughs> Okay. She's like, I think you should put something like this on after we had like 10 episodes released. I'm like, that's a good idea. Lawyers lawyers, lawyers always thinking about that. No wonder. I have the very popular people. You just need one worst case scenario to happen and then you're prepared for all of them. That's a good thing.